part two of a three-week series on the subject of Christian friendship. And we're examining the idea of Christian friendship because we see in the conversion story of Saul uh, the, the power of a Christian friend stepping into Saul's life. This is Ananias is, a, is Saul's first Christian friend, I guess you could say. And we're sort of just, we're just sort of looking at this as, okay, what, do we, what can we learn about the nature of Christian friendship from this story? So look at Acts chapter 9. Verse 17, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit today and Christian friendship. The Holy Spirit and Christian friendship. And we see that beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, where Ananias comes to Saul and lays his hand on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is is understood to be the power. I would say it's understood to be the sign and the seal and the strength of Christian friendship. We have overlooked, we've walked past a kind of um, elephant in the room when it comes to the Holy Spirit as we've been making our way through the book of Acts these last 20 years. Uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about, but it's, it's popped up only recently when we were in chapter eight, it really popped up. One of the things we haven't talked about is how sometimes when Luke is telling the story, he does something different in his description of conversion than what we typically see. So more than a dozen times in the book of Acts, the basic formula of conversion is presented as they believed in the name of the Lord Jesus and were baptized. That's kind of the normal, you know, presentation of conversion in the book of Acts. Every once in a while, Luke does something, well, I think it's just weird. And it started, we saw it in Acts chapter 8. What we're seeing, very rarely, but enough times to discuss it, is sometimes Luke makes a bigger deal out of the reception of the Holy Spirit than he does in other places. And so we see that in this text. This description of Saul's conversion is a little atypical. We don't have the typical uh, believed and baptized formula here. We have Holy Spirit and baptized formula here. What's going on there? Uh, This has led some people to believe that perhaps Christians receive Christ in one experience and they experience, they receive the Holy Spirit in a second experience. But I'll tell you, as I study God's word, I don't see that coming, coming to play at all. In fact, when Peter is preaching his sermon at the beginning of Acts, the people are cut to the heart and they say, what must we do? And Peter says, you know, repent and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just, you know, it's all this one thing. Uh, it, later on, in, when, when Paul is writing his letters in Romans 8, he says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. So we don't see two experiences that doesn't seem to be luke's intent here and yet we do see some unusual reason why in at least three occasions luke presents an atypical pattern of conversion like we see with saul where the holy spirit not christ is kind of pushed to the fore in acts chapter 8 if you'll remember 
the Samaritans believed the message of Philip. They saw the mighty works that he was doing. They believed in the message of Philip. But then it says that, uh, that Peter and, and John came up from Jerusalem to the Samaritans to lay hands on them so that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And here in this passage, we have Ananias saying, I have come to uh, lay hands on you so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive, regain your sight. And then there's another instance of this sort of thing in Acts chapter 10 and 11. And here I, I, I want to deal with this because we haven't dealt with it yet, but it will also point us directly to the idea of Christian friendship. It seems to me as I study these patterns that what Luke is doing is, is that when he is, is explaining the conversion of someone or some group who seems to be excessively outside the typical community of faith. So the Samaritans weren't like part of the original gang. You know, they're, they're new, they're, they're outside. They're, they're seen as sort of, uh, you know, redheaded stepchildren. Apologies to any redheaded stepchildren. They're, they're seen to be sort of outside. We get to Saul. Saul, the whole, the whole idea of Acts chapter nine is Saul is outside. The question is like, is anyone, when he goes to Jerusalem, going to trust him or not? And so he's seen as an outsider. And this comes up really strongly in what we'll see in the next few months with a man named Cornelius, who is the first Gentile convert. Peter goes to Cornelius, and Cornelius is saved. He is justified. He is redeemed. But after he goes to Jerusalem and tells his fellow Jewish Christians, hey, um, this Gentile soldier named Cornelius has come to faith in Christ. They say in Acts 11, you went, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Big no-no, big no-no. In other words, you took the gospel to outsiders? And listen to how Peter explains why they're not outsiders anymore. In Acts eleven fifteen. Peter says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here's Peter's justification. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Now, how do people receive this when he says this? Well, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So what's going on with this little weird kind of pattern that we see where there's a second uh, emphasis or an unusual emphasis on receiving the Holy Spirit? It seems to me, and I've been thinking about this for a number of years and studying it, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit was viewed by early believers as the evidence that you're officially in. And so Luke is giving us an emphasis on the Holy Spirit when someone's status as an insider or outsider is up for debate or discussion, as it was with the Samaritans, as it was with Saul, as it was with Cornelius. So for the early church, like the people that Peter's talking to in Acts 11, for the early church, the Holy Spirit was the sign that you were a part of this new people that God had created. So in the early church, the Holy Spirit and Christian friendship, Christian fellowship, if you prefer, they're just like totally connected. 
They're inseparable. That's, that's the thing that shows you're his. So now I want to talk about the two ways that the Holy Spirit empowers Christian friendship. And the first one we touched on last week, Christian, uh, the, the Holy Spirit and the vision of Christian friendship. So if you look at verse 18, it says, and immediately, this is as Ananias is, is laying hands on Saul, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What I think we see here, again, Luke's not accidentally telling us these things. He's, he's shaping the story to make theological points. That's how, we, that's how we preach narrative. That's how we read narrative. It's like, what is Luke trying to get at? Well, what we see here is, is that Saul receives two kinds of sight in unison with each other. He receives physical sight. Scales fall off his eyes but he also receives spiritual sight when he receives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seer, is is the seer inside of ourselves. For those of you that are here this week but weren't here last week, uh, last week, all we talked about, really, was this moment where Ananias, you know, he's arguing with Jesus about, like, I don't want to go to this guy. Like, he's dangerous. I've heard lots of things about him. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to go. He's a chosen instrument of mine. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And we see this crucial moment that I think is the basic description of Christian friendship. It's when Ananias walks in that house and he looks at Saul and he calls him brother. And Ananias is making a choice. And this is the choice of Christian friendship. I will treat you like Christ sees you. I will treat you like Christ treats you. Not how others see you. Not how you've been seen in the past. I will treat you the way that Jesus sees you and treat you. That's the central definition of Christian friendship. So that means that in order to be good Christian friends, we have to see things the way Jesus sees things. How do we see things the way Jesus sees things? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual eyes to see. We talked last week about how Jesus defines friendship in John 15, 15 this way. He says, no longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So we said that our friendship, our capacity to see other people as Christ sees them, depends on Jesus giving us his vision for the world and for other people and so on. Now, what's really interesting is that's in John 15, 15. The next chapter in John 16, 13, Jesus tells us how. We're going to get this sight, how we're going to get this spiritual sight, how we're going to know what God is up to in the lives of others. And in John 16, 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whoever, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So, so Jesus says, I'm going to make you my friend and I'm going to make you my friend by, uh, by telling you stuff that I'm up to. You're going to be able to see my kingdom work. And then in John 16, he says, how does that work? It works through giving you the Holy Spirit. When you're saved, receiving the Holy Spirit, it's like with Saul. Some scales in your spiritual heart eyes fall away, and suddenly you see with faith the kingdom of God. There's this incredible moment in John chapter 3. Nicodemus 
another Pharisee, like Saul, comes to Jesus, and he is attempting to kind of be Jesus' buddy. He says, you know, it's obvious that you're a good teacher because no one could do the works that you've been doing if you weren't a good teacher. And Jesus says, we can't be friends. That's basically what Jesus says. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to describe that being born again means being born of the Spirit. So Jesus is like, you can't see me. You can't see people the way you need to. You can't see the kingdom unless you've been given the Spirit. So I want us to think about, okay, the Holy Spirit helps Christians be friends with one another by giving us the vision that God has, right? By, by letting us see what God sees when he looks at us. So, so what, is, what, precisely, what precisely does that vision do for us? And I'm going to just give you a few things uh, that the Holy Spirit lets you see that you could not see if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. So the first one is the most obvious, and that is you can see Christ. You can see Christ as he is. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul is describing the status of those who don't know Christ and their sight. He says in chapter 4, verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So without the Holy Spirit, without Christ, you can't see Jesus correctly. But then he says in verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So one of the things you see, and I'm going to link all this together in a minute, one of the things you see through the Holy Spirit is you see Jesus. You see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But there's a second thing you see. You see your adoption. The Holy Spirit see, helps you to see your place in the people of God. So Paul says in Romans 8, 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You can probably anticipate how that affects your relationship with other Christians. If the Holy Spirit is confirming the reality of your adoption into the family of God, you can kind of anticipate, okay, now these people aren't just people I go to church with. These are like brothers and sisters. Uh, we're part of something big and deep here. Oh, third thing, just, just real quickly, is you can see your inheritance. Uh, later on, in fact, the next verse in Romans 8, Paul says, and if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him so think about this for a minute how does seeing christ well seeing our adoption seeing our inheritance in christ how does that make us better christian friends you know you can't be a friend with someone who you need when you need them to be jesus when you need them to be your god the way the way i would say it is, is once jesus becomes your god 
people can be people again. Most of the deep relational pain we feel, whether it's in marriage or friendships or even in sibling relationships, is an overdependence on another human being to fill categories that only God can fill. And this hurts when we have accidentally, without even realizing it, worshipped, worshipped another human being, and then that human being, through the course of their own sinfulness, maybe even through the course of the Lord's discipline for our idolatry, says to us, you can't trust me. Like, like they, don't, they don't want you to think that. They don't mean that. But, but you wind up realizing this person, like they make a good spouse, but they make a lousy God. You know, like they're like, I give you high points on spousiness, but in terms of, uh, in terms of being like my savior, low points, you know, the gap there starts and fuels all kinds of pain and disappointment toward one another and disappointment creeps into resentment. And so the people that you think are the most amazing Christians ever. And right now you just think they're the super coolest person ever. Be careful, be careful. Cause here's, what's going to happen. They're going to disappoint you. And if they were just a friend, just a brother, just a sister, that pain will hurt, but it won't devastate you. But if they were a god, an idol, yeah, rough times ahead. Here's the cool thing about seeing Jesus. When he becomes your god, people can be people again. And now I have a hope that does not disappoint. I have a belonging that cannot be broken. And I have an inheritance that cannot be exhausted. I'm suddenly secure. And we all know this, like we could all get, uh, you know, uh, psychology 101 under our belt. You know, just being in a church long enough, relating to other people, we, we, we get certain things about human nature as we walk with the same people over and over and over again. And we know this, when I am secure in Christ, when I am confident in his love for me, when I am confident in my wealth in Christ, my inheritance in Christ for all time, I am free to love. I'm free to love. I'm free to care for you. I'm free to walk with you. But when I'm insecure, when I'm angry, when God isn't the God of my life or my circumstances, when I am, when I am feeling poor and less than, I am not free. I'm not free to love as I ought to love. Here's, here's the, the, the last thing I want you to see that the Holy Spirit helps us with in terms of vision, and that's this. The Holy Spirit helps us to see these things are true for others that we love, even when they cannot see it for themselves. So there's this beautiful early section in Ephesians where Paul is praying that the believers will see all the things that I just described. And what's so cool about that is, is that Paul sees it for them. And now he wants them to see it for themselves. I think that's another great glimpse into the biblical idea of Christian fellowship, Christian friendship. Um, oh, I want you to see. I want you to see you how God sees you. I want you to see the reality of, of your place in Christ the way that God sees it. That's Christian friendship. I see what you have in Christ even when you do not. And think about how important this is. 
Think about how important this is because I don't always see what I have in Christ. I forget. I, I lose track. I, I take my eyes off of Christ. I take my eyes. I stop seeing with the eyes of faith. We'll talk about this, this again next week. I stop seeing who I am in Christ. Man, I need someone who says, yeah, you're not seeing this right now, but this is what's true. This is what's true. And like we said last week, sometimes that comes in the form of, of kindness, and sometimes it comes in the form of admonishment. But all the time, a true Christian friend will say, you're not seeing this, but I want to tell you what you're not seeing. I want to tell you the truth. Okay, so not only does the Holy Spirit give us vision for Christian friendship, but the Holy Spirit gives us virtue for Christian friendship. Look back at Acts chapter 9. We saw the vision issue in his, his receiving the Spirit and, and, and the scales falling off his eyes. Now look at Acts chapter 9, verse 19. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Paul sees things differently, and so he starts doing things differently. So he came to Damascus, why? To go into those very synagogues, rip people out of there, arrest them, and take them back to Jerusalem to stand a trial that most likely would have ended the way that Stephen's trial ended. Paul is a different man now. That same synagogue that he meant to raid and arrest Christians, he now stands in there in support of the very Christians he had planned to arrest and hopefully, if everything worked out well, to kill. Now he is supporting their mission to Damascus. Think about how incredible this is. People know Saul's coming. It's, it's obvious from the text that the Christians in Damascus know that this man is enraged at the way of Christ, and he is coming to their town, and he is coming to their synagogues. And so there's this gut-check moment for all the Christians in Damascus, many of whom probably had fled the persecution in Jerusalem. There's this gut-check moment. It's like, okay, Saul's going to get here. He's going to come into this synagogue. Am I going to name the name of Christ? Am I going to say Jesus is Lord? This is the math they're doing. And they're praying that God would give them faith and strength to be able to stand this test. But instead, this threat that they were sure was going to wipe them out comes in and stands side by side with them, proclaiming the goodness and beauty of Jesus. So Saul sees things differently, and now he acts differently. And this is the other piece of the Holy Spirit's work in supporting Christian friendship. We get the virtues we need to be good Christian friends. And now I want to just hit pause and say, there's this massive yeah, but. Because here's the deal. We believe, so here's what we believe. We believe that the Bible teaches that every person who is saved receives this Holy Spirit that empowers us with the vision and virtues we need to be good Christian friends. We believe that that the Holy Spirit is the power behind all of these, uh, the possibility of Christian friendship. So why aren't we all amazingly good at being Christian friends? Why do we neglect one another? Why do we lose patience with one another? Why do we write off one another? Why do we forget about one another? 
What accounts for the loneliness that Christians still feel in the local church? What accounts for the slander and resentment and unforgiveness? Well, that's mainly the subject of next week's sermon. So, see ya. No. If we have the Holy Spirit of God and He is the power behind Christian friendship, what accounts for all of the pain? Well, one thing that you've got to remember is, is yeah, there are, there are difficulties, but there's a lot of good. And we are, by nature, unthankful, ungrateful people who maximize the worst and take all of the good for granted. So that's the first reality. The second reality is, is that as we saw last week when we looked at Hebrews 10.14, there are two kind of identities that every Christian has. Let me look back at that verse for a minute. Ephesians 10, or Hebrews 10.14. For by a single offering, he, Jesus, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we have a position in Christ that is perfect, Jesus has, by his offering of his blood, his righteousness, made all those whom he has chosen to be saved perfected once and for all. And we are being practically sanctified. We're, we're, we're still in the process of walking out that fear, or that salvation in fear and trembling. Jesus is the author of our faith, but he's also the perfecter of our faith. So what accounts for the disparity between we've got this amazing, the power of, of God, the Holy Spirit, to make us good at Christian friendship? What accounts between the disparity of we've got this spirit that does this, and yet so often we see genuine breakdowns in Christian friendship? And the answer lies in this verse. There is a big gap. And this is really all the Christian life is about in many respects is fulfilling what we already are in Christ. Um, in Ephesians, this is, Ephesians is a beautiful book that, that really contains so much more about Christian friendship than I'd ever realized. And you've got Paul saying, you know, hey, you guys are saints chosen before the foundation of the world. He says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's like, you have got this incredible uh, inheritance in Christ Jesus has lavished the richness of his grace on you with all wisdom and insight. You are saved of grace and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, so Paul is laying out the richness of our inheritance and our place in Christ. And then he says in, in, in the pivot verse in Ephesians 4, but we still got to walk this out. And he says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received, now listen to the horizontal friendship element. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you still got to walk this stuff out. And the disparity between the power we have through the Holy Spirit to make us Christian friends and our capacity to walk these things out there's a gap there. You've got all that you need to have a virtuous Christian friendship in the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, 
Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. And they're all relational blessings, right? Uh, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness. You know, those are the virtues of Christian friendship. And the Spirit provides those. But a little bit earlier in the same chapter, Paul lists another set of fruits. And he says that these are poison to Christian friendship. In verse 19 of Galatians 5, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And what kind of friend you are depends on whether you were walking in the flesh or in the spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Meaning, make every effort to turn the virtues that the Holy Spirit offers into the actual practice of your life. We have a primarily younger congregation. Even our old people are young, right? That's the cool, yeah, yeah. Like, like you're not really old. You're just old, relatively speaking. Um, so we're still going to call you old, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, but you're not really old. We have, a, we have a younger congregation, and there's just a million questions about how this life is supposed to unfold and what you're supposed to be about. And it's, it's such a strange decade, especially your 20s. So many questions. So many bad questions, by the way. So many dumb questions that you don't even know are dumb. I was thinking today, this morning, as I was praying about this message, here's, here's a question that almost no one ever asks and might be top five in terms of determining whether you have a meaningful life that accomplishes something for the glory of God. Here's the question. How can I be a better Christian friend? What if, like, that's probably top five difference maker in what your life will amount to is the earnestness of how can I do friendship better? How can I be a better Christian friend? And our analysis of that from today is this. 
I have got to pursue walking in the Holy Spirit because it is from the Holy Spirit that I am able to see others as Christ sees them. I'm able to see Christ as he is. And I'm able to avoid all of this dumb idolizing of other human beings, which actually prevents me from being their friends. I'm able to see others. I'm able to see Christ. And then through the work of the Holy Spirit, I am given these virtues that actually add into the Christian life, that actually make Christian friendship possible and practical. You know, we've, we've talked about John 15, John 15, 15. It says, no longer I call you servants, for I call you friends. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I'm going to tell you everything that the Father is doing. That's really the last verse in three verses. Now, please listen real carefully here. It's really the last verse in three verses that, that, that Jesus discusses, that uses to discuss friendship. The first two verses, he says this, no greater love has any man that he lay down his life for his friends. So here's one of the interesting things. Uh, you, it's very easy to fall into the habit of critiquing other people's friendships or other people's capacities for friendship. But here's what I would recommend. Ask yourself this question. What are you... I think that, that's, that there's, there's, there's some reasonability there, but, but I think I would be careful if the pattern of my life showed that I really wasn't making sacrifices to love anyone. To then begin to take the mantle of the one who decides what love is. Because love is messy. It's, it's, it's rather involved. And before you become the arbiter of this is friendship, this isn't, and so on and so forth, it's like, okay, like, like, do you know how that works? But ultimately, this, this second thing that Jesus says, you're my friend if you do what I say. You're my friend if you obey me. And so it, it turns out, as we started last week discussing, your friendship with Jesus is somehow remarkably intertwined with your, friend, your capacity for friendship with others. Because if you do what Jesus says, you'll be walking in the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, the virtues of Christian friendship will manifest in your relationships with others. And so it all ties back to that idea that we've discussed before, and that is, is where Jesus says, love me with everything you've got, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And my understanding of how to love my neighbor as myself is informed by this, this attempt <laughs> to love God with everything that I've got. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, please make us better at being Christian friends. At the end of the day, that might be